alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 125th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Doing pretty good, man. Finally uh, back in action here. Feels like it's been fucking an eternity since we've recorded a, a regular episode. Obviously, we had a little banter thing last week, but uh feels good. Feels good to be back recording a regular episode, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I uh, I came back to doing some studying and research this past week for this episode. So it does feel like it's been a couple of months, really, since I've done any any research, even though it's only been like, what, two and a half weeks. So <laughs> yeah, it was a nice break, though. Nice little break. So Phil, I hear you have uh, something you would like to talk about in the beginning of the episode here. Yes. Well, it turns out, uh, apparently, I don't know if it might be going to the courts or not, but apparently President Biden made some presidential, uh, I don't know, decrees, proclamations, whatever you want to call them, about the COVID vaccines becoming mandatory for uh, people in certain employment situations. So apparently it looks like, uh, I don't know, maybe Papa Joe and old Bill Gates just don't want me to be having kids. So, I don't know. Maybe 36 is a little too old to be having kids anyway. So No, come on. There's plenty of people uh, who who have had them uh, much older than you. But uh, It might be, a, might be a good thing to get the vaccine, though. I don't want to be like the old man at the uh, at the graduation ceremony. You know, everyone's asking if that's uh, the grandpa. Like, no, that's, that's the dad. He's just an old fuck. Ooh, I found a good subreddit. Or, no, I shouldn't say this. Someone... Uh, has uh, gave to me a good subreddit called the Herman Cain Award subreddit or something oh, really? like that. Yeah, it's basically people post. It's it's really sad, honestly. They like post. It's like a timeline kind of of all these people who make like anti-COVID memes or like blah blah anti-vax memes or whatever, and then yeah. they ultimately pass away. Uh, and this from COVID and it's all in the same timeline. It's, I was reading through it. It's really sad if I'm, if I'm being completely honest <laughs> with you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, speaking of COVID actually, this is kind of one thing I want to talk about before we get in the episode here. Now I want everybody to keep in mind, this is completely, uh, speculative as far as I could tell, but it was an article from somebody who has been studying kind of like diseases. And I think they've been studying the, I don't know. I kind it seemed like they kind of been studying the common cold and like trying to figure out the origins of it, I guess. Um, yeah. Now, basically what they have researched is that COVID strains have been around a lot longer than we think. Okay. And, and they're relating back to, have you ever heard of the 18, 
I think it was like 1890 Russian flu, as they called it. 1890 Russian flu. I know the the 1918 Spanish flu. Never yep. quite heard of the the Russian flu though. Okay, so this is where it gets interesting because they're and I'm going to state this. This person is like actually a scientist, not just some idiot with a meme on the internet. Um, Facebook guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically, they called it a flu, but they're pretty. She's pretty certain that it was a form of early coronavirus. It killed like a million people in Russia at the time. It didn't really escape there because people didn't travel a lot, obviously. But the interesting thing is, is that they theorize or she theorizes that coronaviruses will imagine like a mountain, right? It keeps going, gets more and more deadly and deadly. And then all of a sudden it just after like six or seven years, it loses all of its like main killing power, I guess. The like really yeah. bad symptoms, and then it it dies down and turns into the modern day common cold, because there's four I guess there's four different strains of the common cold, and it was something like a very depleted coronavirus is essentially morphs into a common cold. So, uh, well, yes, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say quick. So, yeah, the coronavirus has been they've known about like coronaviruses for, you know, long, long time. This is just like the novel coronavirus, like a new one yeah. that is coming out. Everyone. The funny thing is, like everyone used to look at the um, when it first started, they were looking at the back of the Lysol cans and saying, oh, look, see, it kills the coronavirus. They've known about coronavirus for that's not new. It's not a new thing. And it's like, well, this is just a new strain of coronavirus. But yeah, I can see how kind of like an analogy would be like a fire. Eventually, it's going to run out of its fuel source, which is humans, and just burn itself out. That's a yeah, lot of it, diseases do that. It, it it It's interesting. I don't know if it's um, specifically. Well, yeah, diseases do that. But it's like something about this, that particular type of virus, like ramps up super fast. And then it just mm. eventually loses its power. And then it just becomes annoying like a fucking cold. You know what I'm saying? But never truly dies. Well, I can see because if it's spread through the air, through like coughing, sneezing, all of that, through spit, I can see that it can be like spread really quickly. Like the um, the bubonic plague isn't spread like through the air. It's spread through through flu the it spread flu fluids, so it's a yeah. lot harder to spread. So, uh, it's, well, I mean, obviously, it's completely different than you know Corona. But yeah, no, I just uh, the whole bit. Uh, I just, I just thought it was really interesting because that would mean if there is any truth to that, we could have about another four years of this. So, uh, yeah, that would be horrible. Uh, and apparently, these come from animals. Uh, did you know that? Yeah, I, uh, well, I remember at the beginning of this whole thing, they were saying something about a, a bat shitting on a pig, <laughs> fucking a duck or something like that, you know, in a, in a market in Wuhan, China. Well, if so you, if I remember you, all of that. If you watch South Park, uh, apparently Mickey Mouse <laughs> and Randy Marsh were fucking a bat. That's how the, uh, coronavirus started. <laughs> Yeah, of course. No, I, I, uh, I, I've seen clips of that one. Yeah, <laughs> that one's pretty funny. But anyway, yeah. all right, enough of the serious talk, Phil. By the way, everybody should know Arizona Cardinal Minnesota Viking game this week 
We'll probably be talking about it next week. I assume I have a feeling I know the outcome, but I don't want to. I don't want to reveal it yet. Yeah, we'll, c- we'll let c- the disappointment sit in. Considering Kyler Murray's, uh, well, his play from last week, I really wish that the computer in the draft would have drafted me Kyler Murray instead of the uh, Delvin Cook, as he was killing it last week. So, who knows? It's it's going to be a good game. Oh, I hope it is. Knowing the Vikings, it will be down to the wire because that's the only way they play the game. But anyway, take it away, Phil. Good old Kirk Cousins. All <laughs> right. So for this week's episode, I kind of wanted to jump into a subject that I actually picked up at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, uh, which was on my way back to uh, dusty old Phoenix. And that is an alleged discovery made right in the heart of high cholesterol country during the very end of the 19th century, which is actually claimed by some to be an ancient artifact proving that some Europeans had actually set foot on inland North America long before the explorations of Lewis and Clark or even before French fur trappers and traders of New France. So wait, are you saying that we have like competing legends? We have Lewis and Clark and then we have, I don't know, Pierre and Montfree or something. (laughs) I don't know what their names are, but like I've never heard of these uh, fur trappers and traders. Oh, well, that's just establishing a timeline. So obviously Lewis and Clark... Uh, had their, you know, their voyage west to get to the Pacific to see all the lands of the Louisiana Purchase. But uh, before the Louisiana Purchase, that whole area, uh, the the whole area that you live in, uh, basically from, you know, down in New Orleans all the way up to, I think it's maybe Montana, uh, that's all basically was called New France, which the United States purchased from Napoleon. Gotcha. Okay. I never, I never, we never talked about, but how do you, if you were Lewis and Clark, okay, and you're getting down to like Mississippi, Louisiana, you probably haven't seen many people, um, and you're pulling in there and all of a sudden there's just like a, a kid with fucking a spittoon, a lip full of dip and he's just playing his banjo, like that had to throw you off, right? Yeah, exactly. Um. I I don't know if it was quite as uh, scary, that whole, you know, the whole Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri region as it is today. <laughs> okay, but, it's scarier yeah. today. Yeah, I don't think there was quite as many uh, like Southerner type, you know, Americans <laughs> living down there as there are now. But yeah, so I mean, in that whole area, it was, you know, populated by Native Americans and there was uh, French fur traders and trappers kind of in the area trying to pick up... Um, you know, wild game for their fur. So gotcha. Okay. Yep. The city of Dubuque, Dubuque in Iowa is actually named after a Frenchman. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I didn't, uh, didn't even put that together, but I suppose it makes sense now that I hear it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, first settlement in Iowa, but, uh, getting back to it now, according to the history books that most Americans grew up reading, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 and supposedly discovered the new world. However, besides the fact that there were many people living in the Western Hemisphere for thousands of years before Columbus was even born, recent discoveries in Canada have proven that ancient Norsemen had actually set up shop in the North American continent over a thousand years ago. The tales of these adventures and settlement was actually first spoken orally. 
eventually it was written down in the 13th century in what became known as the Vinland sagas. Mm, okay, so first off, this is obviously my people. These are my yes. my lineage here. There's two problems with Norwegian history, okay? Number one, they write in runes. Okay, nobody even knows what the fuck any of that means. Number two, they probably are writing it on fucking Ludafisk. So it's like <laughs> it eventually rots away or gets stolen by a reindeer or some shit. So yes. they're not good at writing down history. Yes, I was actually going to say that these are the Norse variety of sailors and not reindeer farmers. So Well, when they go not, home, there's reindeer there. People. When they go home, there is reindeer there. Yes, but I think they're a little bit more concerned about the... Uh, you know, the treasures and the, the trading <laughs> rather than the reindeer. So <laughs> Good call. Now, before we get into any archaeological discoveries, real or otherwise, let's discuss a brief history of the Norse tribes, specifically during what has become known as the Age of the Vikings. Mm, okay, I'm excited to hear this. Now, the agreed upon date of the beginning of the Age of the Vikings is the year 793 A.D., when on June 8th, a horde of Norsemen attacked a monastery on the island of Lindisfarne off the northeastern coast of England. The Norse raiders took a large amount of riches and human captives from the monastery, which really was unguarded due to the fact that Christian sites like Lindisfarne were really never raided by the Christian faithful in medieval Europe, obvious for, for obvious reasons, you know, no Christian raiders or Christian inhabitants of Europe would want to destroy or tarnish a, you know, a holy site like that Island. Well, it's too bad. These, uh, these Norse Vikings here don't understand that Jesus Christ died for their sins. 793 years prior and now they're attacking his side. Unfortunately, they're not going to get into heaven. Um, that's just that's just how it's going to go. But uh, but yeah, okay. I guess. I mean, if we put ourselves back in this time, like you said, if a Christian establishment, especially in England, right, get gets yes. attacked, they must think this is literally a pack of demons raised from hell that are you know, like you said, attacking a holy site. Oh, definitely. Um, so during this time, uh, England was under the control of what are known as Anglo-Saxons, uh, previous invaders from Germany. So it wasn't quite the England that we think of today. Um, the language was kind of, it was English in its infancy, almost. Even though Anglo-Saxons spoke English, it's not an English that we would really be able to understand today. It would be kind of like listening to someone from Louisiana. Like that have that like really bad Bayou accent. You can kind of pick up some stuff, but you really wouldn't be able to understand them. You would need subtitles if you watched a TV show with them on it. It's like that um, one guy from the Water Boy. That yes, the, the exactly. one coach. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Homo's where you make it. You yeah. have to see Homo's <laughs> naked. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he brings the frog cakes, right? Yeah, definitely. Now before this time. Coastal raiding from the Northerners was highly unusual, though it had occurred just three years earlier when three ships 
full of Norsemen attacked a band of soldiers sent to take the invaders to the king's court in England. However, this event on the holiest of sites in Christian England would so shock Christian Europe that it would fundamentally change the way that coastal cities were defended and how, like you mentioned, northern pagans would be seen by their southern neighbors, uh, really now being just portrayed as a northern horde invading the southern Europe. Okay, all right. Yeah, this is like their worst nightmare, right? They've, they, I, I get it's a different form of paganism, obviously, but man, the Christians have spent the last 700 years ridiculing and destroying any like counter religion right basically um yeah they did a number on the paganism kind of attached with roman beliefs uh so yeah that's uh this is probably their worst nightmare yeah i mean as any you know early cult that's kind of on the upswing taking over they either completely stamp out these pagan rituals or they kind of bring them in and Either the religion as a whole changes or they just kind of change, you know, the the practices of the people in that region. Kind of where like the Christmas tree came in uh, are some of the things that kind of change Christianity when it enveloped pagan rituals. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Halloween, obviously, is a big one. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, that's not really that's not really a Christian holiday, but it is kind of a, a big thing that we all celebrate. That no, no, no. came from pagan that, rituals. That's so. what I'm saying. They just like took their shit and then made it theirs, kind of. Yes. Thing. But and, yeah, and I then guess, we commercialize it to make money. Yeah, I, I not. You know what? That went right over my head. I'm like, some some hardcore Christians are like terrified of Halloween. I always forget that. Yes, and Harry Potter, and not Harry, just for the gay stuff. Don't say his name, the Warlock. Just refer to him as <laughs> the, the Warlock. The Warlock, of course, I'm sorry. Now, a quick aside. The word Viking isn't a name that the Norse used for themselves. However, it was a Norse word that better translates to adventure, as the Vikings weren't only leaving their villages to pillage the Southerners and the Russians to the east but also to seek out trade partners, explore, and possibly find new lands for settlement. In fact, when the Norsemen would leave their villages by boats during the summer months, they would say something more like, let's go a Viking. Like, let's go on an adventure. But also the name has been used as like a word for pirates, like Viking pirates. Yeah. Yeah, obviously like the Minnesota Adventure. I mean, I guess it yeah. kind of works, but uh, but yeah, I, interesting. I didn't know that. That is, uh, it's very interesting. Really, it's it's closer to a word for adventure, but it's more well known by people as kind of this idea of pirates. There is a kind of there's old myths. So I don't know if you've ever heard of them, the people of the sea. This band of barbarians, which like. Which is what the you know people 3,300 years ago would have called them barbarians, but it was these peoples who would attack the coasts of major settlements and cities in the ancient world and go in and attack. They actually were the ones who wore horns on their helmets. The Vikings never really wore horns on their helmets. It was just kind of mixed in with the old legends that were kind of left over from the people of the sea. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yep. I did not know that. That's uh that's cool fact there. 
Yeah, so that uh, that Viking logo that the Vikings use isn't quite accurate, but it's a cool looking logo. But how yeah, many? T- they never they never put horns on their head. I'm just gonna say this, and I'm not saying you're this type, but how many people do you think have emailed the Minnesota Vikings and said that's not historically accurate? Can you? I imagine? hope it's less than twelve. Oh, I I don't know. You know somebody's done it. Yeah, honestly, it's just a it's it's just a fun logo that kind of sums up Minnesota as a whole. I'll be talking about it later, but there is a lot of Scandinavian immigrants who made their way to Minnesota and northern Iowa. Uh, a lot of because, you know, climate and what the land looks like. Well, okay, so. I I always heard um I think my grandpa was from Norway or something like that that uh America was giving away land in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. That's why the Germans and the Norwegians came there. Because it was easy for them to get land. Really? I always thought yeah. that, well, yeah, I mean, I had heard that they were giving away different like parts of land in the U.S. at different times. But I had always heard that the Scandinavians liked going up to Minnesota because of the climate. It's probably but. a mixture of both, honestly. Yeah. Well, I do know that a lot of a lot of the like towns and, and villages in the Midwest were highly like homogenous, like only like maybe Germans would move to one area and Irish would move to another, you know, Scandinavians and decorah, you know, Irish in Emmitsburg, Iowa, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So after the successes of the raid on Winsfarm Monastery, other Norse villages would end up hearing about the riches and captives brought back from the storming that the coastal European towns and monasteries was giving to this Norse village. Uh, It would really begin a new trend in shipbuilding among Norse villages and a great migration of independent Norse chieftains raiding and eventually settling down south in Europe forming trade routes, becoming bands of mercenaries and invading armies, and eventually even becoming the ruling classes of many European lands before before ultimately Christianizing, uh, which would actually end the age of the Vikings, would be them getting rid of their pagan rituals. Gotcha. Okay. You can't beat them. Uh, recruit them. Force them to join you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because the thing about it is, after you christianize now you kind of have to i'm not sure exactly how much power the pope wielded but i mean if the pope has to be you always hear back in like you know the dark ages and the middle ages whenever an invading like whenever a king wanted to invade a new land they had to ask the pope first so if they became christianized that would mean that the vikings would have to ask the pope first so i doubt that he would give any blessing to any kind of new invasion what if they're protestant what if they're Protestant? Yeah. Well, the Protestant really didn't start until uh, hundreds of years later. Was the Reformation. It? Oh, is it? I was pretty sure they're one of the first ones, weren't they? Well, yeah, it was Northern Northern Europeans were some of the first Protestants, but it wouldn't take whole. It wouldn't start until quite a bit longer ahead. Uh, it wasn't gotcha. happening this early on. I'm talking. This is in the 1000 AD time frame. Okay, gotcha. Eleven, yeah. So I'm going to mention it in a little bit. It was 1066, kind of like the end of the age of the Vikings. Gotcha. Yeah. So one of the reasons for the successes of the raiding party was the longship. 
Now, the longship was a staple of the really the modern image of the Viking raiding party. Uh, it's kind of what you think of when you kind of think of Viking raiders off the coast. It's this very long ship. Uh, it had a quite a few advantages over the contemporary European ships of the time. Uh, this would allow raiding parties to not only traverse the open seas, but also navigate inland rivers, and most importantly, take the main vessels all the way up to the coast and unload its warrior payload without having to use smaller boarding vessels or smaller vessels to go onto land, like rowboats. I heard they have glory holes, too. Oh, of course. Yeah, they, <laughs> they have to have those. Um, so, yeah, these are like the... I would assume the ones you kind of see um, maybe on cartoons or whatever. Narrow yes. boat. A lot of men can fit in there. It might have like a neat design on the uh, bow, the bow or whatever. Yeah, a lot of times um, kind of like iconography of the tribe. Uh, a lot of, you know, like dragons. They, you know, there are some some of the tribes use dragons to decorate, you know, kind of like scary images that type of deal. Yeah. But yeah, usually, usually large, like long, thin boats with uh, like usually one sail. It kind of looked like an upside down T. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody kind of, kind of knows what you're talking about. This, this image, like the image of those ships have been almost everywhere. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So this was because of the iconic and innovative design of the long ship. Uh, it had not only a shallow draft, that, which allowed it to navigate shallow coastal and river waters, really making, like I mentioned before, beach landings possible. It had a depth of only one meter. That's all it needed. So obviously very shallow water. Uh, but it also had a sharp bow, which allowed cutting through deep water waves. Other features included a keel that went the entire length of the ship. Uh, this would also improve stability. And it also included rowing seats that went the full length of the ship. Uh, another really big thing was a reversible design, which allowed for quick changes in direction without having to turn the whole boat around. Uh, this is actually very helpful when these ships would encounter ice, which obviously in the North Atlantic, they would have come across quite a bit. Yeah. Some would say pretty common. Now, this, that like the reverse thing is pretty good, you know, because if you got people rowing, you just be like, all right generic Norwegian name, back it up. <laughs> Olaf. Olaf. <laughs> Oli and Olaf here, back this shit up. Um, yeah, the... Man, that boat would be terrifying if you were, like, deep in the ocean on this thing. I oh, think it yeah. would be. I mean, I think so. I mean, the, a lot of these guys kind of, like, grew up with the idea of this boat. I mean, to us, it would be terrifying to be in this. It's it It's designed like a very large canoe. Like a comically oversized canoe. So if you're out in a river, it's a fun it's a fun little boat to be on. If you're out in the open ocean, it would be extremely terrifying. You would yeah. think that one wave could completely capsize you. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, yeah I, it wouldn't be for me. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, and the thing too, when they reversed, they also had so there was a um like a steering oar in the back. All that they would have to do is take that steering oar off of the back of the ship, move it to the front, and then everyone just turns around in their seats and starts rowing the other way. That's basically all they had to do to reverse the ship. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. 
Now, these long ships would vary greatly in size and crew capacity and allow the spread of the Norse and the expansion of their bustling sea empire east into the Russian lands, south into France and the Mediterranean, even being able to trade as far away as Constantinople and the Baghdad Caliphate. That's about the furthest reaches that the Norse got to the east was the Baghdad Caliphate, modern day, like a large area around modern day Iraq. Yeah, I was going to, uh, Iraq might be a little too hot for these Norse boys at this time, I think. Yeah, no, they didn't settle in Baghdad. They only, they traded furs there. Well, they went and gonna, traded their goods. I, I was going to say for these pale motherfuckers, it was probably quite a, uh, quite a trip for them. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm sure, I'm sure they came back with a tan back yeah. to their villages <laughs> for the first time ever. So <laughs> Everyone looks at their sunburnt faces like, oh, wow, it must have been really cold if you got that frostbit. (laughs) No, it wasn't cold at all. (laughs) So most importantly, though, for this episode, at least, North Sea exploration west led to the settlement of supposedly or possibly virgin lands in modern day Iceland and Greenland, with Iceland having its first permanent settler being, I'm going to say this name very wrong, Ingolf Arneson, who named his chosen site for the settlement Reklavik. Now, there are two different translations I found. One very unpopular one was that he named it for his wife. The more popular one was that it's translated from Norse and means Smoky Bay. Now, this, of course, is thought to be named for the hot springs that can be seen uh, in the area when you're out at sea. Now, the settling of Iceland attracted about 400 settlers, which also included their families to the island and also their slaves, too. Uh, These people came mostly from Norway. Gotcha. Okay. Well, whoever discovered these two islands must have been drunk because isn't Greenland have more ice than Iceland does? Yeah, it does. I'm I'm actually going to mention that in a couple paragraphs. (laughs) Okay. Um, so it's kind of funny that they named it Iceland at all. Um, you would think they would give it a little bit more of a like a catchier or a sexier name, considering like how they name things, which I'm going to get into. But so I should also mention, though, that Iceland may have actually been discovered by the ancient Greeks in the fourth century BCE. If they did discover it, they this may have been the land that they called Thule. And prior to Norse settlement, Irish monks had made their home on the island. Uh, These monks were actually looking for solitude. However, they left immediately after the Vikings came in, obviously not wanting to share their land with heathen pagans. And uh, those Irish monks also called the land Thule. Okay, so were the Irish monks looking for solitude because their wives told them they had a drinking problem or what? Like, <laughs> It must have had something to do with alcohol. Okay. Yeah, All I right. hadn't actually linked it, how it, how it you know, came together with alcohol. Endless, but yeah, that's a good... Endless barrels of whiskey, they say, is on the mystical <laughs> land of Thule. We must find him, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, you, I mean, I imagine that was this before the time that they discovered alcohol? Was it the spacefaring civilization okay. before Ima- they, you know, found alcohol. Imagine you are an open water explorer, okay? You come to a land and there's nothing but ginger drunk monks on this island. 
I don't know, dude. This I'd get the hell out of there immediately. Oh, yeah. Well, no wonder the Vikings liked it so much because they were a bunch of ginger drunks themselves. <laughs> so This whole thing, this whole episode is about gingers, Phil. Pretty much, actually. So another push west was the settling of the western coast of Greenland, originally settled by Eric the Red, uh, also a, you know, a, a ginger man himself. <laughs> After he left from Western Iceland in 982, uh, he would spend the next few years exploring and naming different locations in Greenland, which he named with the belief that a good name would attract settlers. He would eventually settle down and build his manor house in Eriksford. Obviously, he also named that. Uh, he named his manor Bradahild, which means steep slope. Now, in 985, even though he had been exiled, from Iceland, Eric the Red would return to Iceland and attempt to sell the settlement of Greenland to maybe some future settlers. He would end up leading about 500 settlers to the desolate coastal regions of Greenland. So did he pull off like getting back here by just like dyeing his hair a different color? Like he, <laughs> I guess. Like, no, I'm Eric the Brunette. Well, I don't know who this <laughs> Eric the Red is. I'm Eric the Brunette. I'm Eric the know. Highlights. I don't know who the fuck that other guy is. No, no, I hate that ginger fuck too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm a different guy. I'm a different guy. <laughs> Have you heard of Greenland? It's great. Yeah. Not a single no, redhead there. <laughs> yeah, they're all uh they're all German boys out there. No, so apparently um half of the ships that Eric the Red led back to Greenland didn't quite make the journey. So I heard about, I read about 25 longships and less than half actually made it to Greenland, to the coast. Damn. So it's kind of a treacherous journey. Oh, just, uh, just natural sea things. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, you got to think there's a lot of icebergs. There's a lot of rocky, there's a lot of rocky, you know, coast coming up on Greenland. So very true. Now, the next round of exploration happens around the year 1000 when Eric the Red's son, Leif Erikson, oh, is no. sent back. <laughs> yeah, it's another in the line. Is sent back to Greenland from Norway by King Olaf Trigravsen. Trigravsen. <laughs> Olaf the first Trigravsen, who had converted Leif to Christianity and actually sent him back to Iceland to spread the faith. Okay. Send him back to Greenland to spread the faith. Okay, all right. He's got a. Uh, this is uh planted some Christianity seeds there. Yes, definitely. Uh, once they all started getting put into the Christianity umbrella, put underneath that, they kind of wanted to spread it out. It's kind of like COVID. Once you catch it, you can't help yourself but to you know give it to everyone else. Yeah. So basically, he probably just airdropped some Bibles. Um, spread the fear of going to hell and then now he's got you know countless converts uh to christianity you just gotta scare him into it yeah i don't understand i mean if you've ever read anything obviously you know norse mythology is pretty popular now with all the thor movies and everything but if you had the choice between believing in Norse mythology and Christianity, like Norse mythology is a lot more interesting, a lot cooler. You'd think you would, you know, maybe just kind of keep that. I, I, I don't know. You know, people, they, uh, they go with what's popular. That's true. And if it's the, uh, you know, 
if basically you being Christian means that you get better prices for your goods down south, maybe that's, you know, something that had to do with that. Very but, true. Very true. Yeah. Now, according to the saga of Eric the Red, this is when Weath Erickson accidentally discovered the land west of Greenland. This was after he got lost on his way back to Greenland. Obviously, just like I mentioned, sent on that Christianizing mission from the king. Now, he made landfall reportedly in this saga three times in what is believed to be Baffin Island, also Labrador, and finally the land that Leif and his crew would winter in, Newfoundland. They would name this land Vinland, claiming that it was a warm, fertile area full of grapes, giving the land its name, with Vinland meaning land of wine. Okay, all right. I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Not the most clever name, you know, for an area, but uh, I guess I guess it's right. It kind of, Vinland here, like from your picture, almost looks like a type of Pokemon, but I can't really <laughs> picture which one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting shape. Basically what, uh, so we're going to put it in the Instagram post. What I'm showing Cody is a picture of what's believed to be the uh, the trip that Eric Leif Erikson took. Uh, it has the names of the places, Helloland, which is Baffin Island, Markland, which is Labrador, and Vinland, which is Newfoundland, which is where they think that Eric the Red or Leif Erikson actually wintered in. Yeah, this uh, the map here honestly almost looks like it's from one of the Final Fantasy games. Yes, yeah, like, it does. I mean, it's it's pretty low. They def. could have on pretty low def. Yeah, pretty low def. It kind of looks more like a painting than an actual um, kind of like topographical map. But yeah, it, it gives you a good idea of kind of what that area would look like. His voyage, basically. Right, exactly. Now, like I mentioned before with the naming of Greenland, calling the area Vinland was also important, as a good name for this land would eventually increase the prestige and urgency for future settlers to immigrate to this new untamed land. Uh, And in the Dark Ages, claiming that a land was plentiful in grapes useful for fermenting wine, made it extremely important of a place, as access to wine meant power for the Norse chieftains and future kings. Uh, Grapes were actually very scarce in this region of Northern Europe that they came from, so a large supply of wine for parties would impress both friends and rivals. And it can be converted into the blood of Christ, I assume. Yeah, I guess maybe that would become important. I didn't even think about that. Maybe that would become important (laughs) later. But if you notice the picture that I showed you before with a lot of the voyages, a lot of the land taken up by the Vikings, they actually did take over parts of Italy. So I wonder if that was for getting their grapes. Now, this is interesting because I have never been to Greenland or Iceland, but my understanding is for like, uh, wa- uh, grapes to make wine, they they can't really freeze. I don't think like they can get cold, but if they if they oh. freeze, it's not. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say so. No, Iceland and Greenland were not known as places with a lot of grapes in the area. That was Vinland. 
That was Newfoundland. Oh, I see. Okay. Never mind. Yes. Scratch all of that. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things in the, the saga of Vinland is that Vinland was a warmer climate than they were used to in Greenland and that it was full of just naturally growing grapes. They claimed that the grapes were just growing everywhere. I see. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Well, what what would the climate have been like uh, right there? In Newfoundland? Yeah. I mean, it's it still gets cold there during the winter, but it's a lot warmer than Greenland, I would have to assume. That's kind of what the, the saga or the legend is saying, is that it's a warmer climate that they were used to. Gotcha. Okay. I just, I, I like kind of know a little bit about winemaking. So, um, I obviously you have different types of grapes and everything, but like it was something that certain wine or like wines can't, wine grapes can't be ever get frost on them or like something like that. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel like I remember hearing that, but, uh, may again, maybe they weren't really concerned with like good tasting wine either. So I, I don't know. Well, I don't have any idea what they actually considered good tasting wine or if they even cared how to taste just as long as it got them drunk. But yeah, according to these uh, these two sagas, the saga of Eric the Red and the saga of the Greenlanders, this place called Vinland was just full of grapes. So I don't okay. know, maybe this is a hardier grape that is more resistant to frost. Maybe the better wines have grapes that you can't have frost get on them at all. So, so I did actually... This is probably the birthplace of uh, Boone's Farm. Remember Possibly. Boone's Farm wine, the box wine? Yes, actually. Uh, so when I was in a fraternity, we used to uh, <laughs> chug Boone's Farm Gross. and race each other chugging Boone's Farm. The big bottles of them. It Ugh. was fucking terrible. Yuck. Yeah. Anyway, let's not get make yourself sick. Uh, continue yeah. on, Phil. As a 21-year-old, Boone's Farm was the only thing that could get me hungover. It was pretty fucking rough. Mm. So, yeah. Now, I should also say that the other Vinland saga, the saga of the Greenlanders, actually claims that Leif Erikson traveled to Vinland after hearing about the lands by a trader named, this is a very hard name to say, Bjarni Herlifsen. This trader actually sighted the land from his ship, though he never set foot on the land. So really the difference is, instead of getting blown off course, Leif Erikson actually was trying to find this land from Bjarni, from probably, his sighting of it. Let me let me say his name funny. Bjarni Hoovis. Yeah, exactly. You got to say it like an asshole. Uh, but yeah, I wonder why he was scared to get off the ship. Maybe uh, there's a, I don't know, monster there. I don't What do you think Bjarni was afraid of, Phil? I have no idea. I mean, possibly he was lost himself. Uh, this supposedly happened over a decade before the uh, exploration of these lands by Leif Erikson. So okay. I have no idea why he didn't go on this island or Bjarne why he didn't go on these lands. Maybe he was in a hurry to go somewhere else. Bjarni's uh, sounds like the guy who might have like accidentally sailed into uh, the area of America known as Pittsburgh now. Possibly. Um, yeah, I, I have a feeling that's where he ended up. Just a bunch of drunk heathens just out there. <laughs> Even the Norse thought they were heathen pagans. <laughs> God, look at those people. <laughs> a bunch of whores and thieves. <laughs> now, according to Norse legend, 
Vinland would be further explored and attempts would be made to settle the land, though it is believed that problems with the indigenous populations forced the settlers slash invaders out of their new village. Now, after the exit of the Norse from what is now known as North America, the Vinland sagas, made up of the sagas of Eric the Red and the saga of the Greenlanders, were thought to actually be fictional, with the land of Vinland being a mythical place, much like the ancient mythical lands of Atlantis or even Troy, which would actually eventually become a real place that they actually discovered. Now, until the discovery of the New World by Christopher Columbus, this basically was thought of as somewhere that didn't exist. However, after hearing about his New World, they would actually come to think that possibly the Americas were the ancient land called Vinland. Gotcha. Okay. I I, I like it. You know, I, I obviously, I think, I think everybody nowadays, especially um, if they watched history channel like in between the hitler and pawn stars that they play sometimes they play uh actual historical things yes i I feel like i watched a few things about who actually discovered america or whatever um outside of obviously the indigenous people yeah this is uh this is fascinating do you think it got more of a mystical kind of allure to it simply because it was so full of grapes Well, I don't know exactly. I mean, kind of the deal is, so oral traditions that are passed down for a few hundred years, who knows like kind of what changed or what, you know, before it was all written down. So I don't know exactly if there was anything that like really changed or became more mystical than the original telling of this story. But I mean... Basically, if you are living in Greenland, if you grow up in Greenland in a place so fucking cold, just hearing that there's a place warm enough for grapes to grow would make you want to, you know, you could dream about that place. Right. Really. Very Greenland. Oh, I was going to say Greenland was inhabited, I think, until about the 16th century before they finally just left the left Greenland completely. They gave up on it. They've never returned, right? Well, there are people living there now, and it is still protected by the country of Denmark. Gotcha. There's not okay. a there's not a ton of people living there now, but there are people living on Greenland, on that western coast. Gotcha. It's kind of like Alaska. Yeah. I mean, they're probably, you know, just as hardy people. You know, well, they've got to be a hardy folk I, I was living say, on the Greenland. If you consider how big Greenland is, how big Alaska is, People only live in like a little small quadrant of Alaska, right? Um, and Greenland. Oh, in, in, in little population centers. Yeah, yeah. In little villages. and Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Most of it's like kind of unexplored. Yeah. Greenland isn't actually. So like with those flat maps that we all kind of grew up with in school, Greenland's not actually that big. Greenland's kind of maybe like the size of Mexico. So it's not this huge landmass that's like the size of China like everyone kind of thinks it is, that's just like an illusion from the map, from a sphere being stretched out on top. If you believe that, if you believe. Yeah, it, obviously uh, the earth is flat. We all yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, checkmate. Anyway, continue on. <laughs> now, the main thing that came to light, really the truth behind the Vinland sagas, that being whether or not the Norse actually settled North America, wasn't actually found out until the mid-20th century. When in 1960, 
two Norwegian archaeologists, Anne Stein Ingsted and Helg Ingsted, uncovered a Norse village near the entrance to the Gulf of St. Lawrence on the northern edge of Newfoundland, Canada. Now, the dig site named La Anse Ox Meadows, which was through really a series of earthen mounds uh, that actually proved to contain timber and sod structures underneath those mounds. Uh, these were much like the structures built in Greenland and Iceland from that same time period in 1000 AD. Okay. I thought you were going to say maybe they found like petrified lefsa or something like <laughs> that. I I don't know. Okay. I guess, I guess uh, similar structures would be an indication that possibly they were here. Yeah, or old Vikings foam fingers. Just, <laughs> there you know, you go. Signed, signed, <laughs> by, uh, signed by cousins himself. Now, the timber skeleton structures with thick sod walls uh, were used for many different things. Some of them were used for housing. Some of them were used for workshop, forges. There was also evidence that there was shipbuilding and iron smelting going on in the settlement. Now, also, the architecture of the buildings from that village showed that these structures were actually intended to be part of a long-term settlement and not just a, a winter trip or a winter housing like Leif Erikson used. Though further study of the site showed that the inhabitants had left very shortly after settling originally the site. This goes along really with the Vinland sagas as those sagas claim that the Norsemen had to flee due to sustained conflict with the indigenous population of that area. That bet, yeah, that uh, that makes sense. They probably got sick of them hanging around there and decided to take them out or uh, scare them off, whatever. Um, here's the interesting thing. How many hipsters in the world have started designing homes with thick sod walls phil yeah it's kind of it reminded me of so the people who first kind of settled in the great plains one of the 4-h troops in howard county was called the sod busters and the sun bonnets and they told us that the name sod busters came because they used to make their housing out of sod because it was too expensive to ship in the wood and there was no trees in that area so, I mean, yeah, I guess sod, it's a really good insulator for buildings. So, really, they made their homes out of dirt, really. Well, I'm just saying, um, you got a guy uh, with fucking beard wax, flannel shirt, <laughs> IPAs, and a house made of goddamn sod. Um, riding on a tricycle yeah. or a unicycle. Yeah, yeah. A absolutely, while he's juggling. Uh, yeah, I, I could see it. it it's definitely going to be a trend. I can, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, a unicycle powered by PBR farts. <laughs> but yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Um, kind of like some of the some of the old structures that they found. Like really, how closely I guess they match Iceland and Greenland. It kind of it's almost like the perfect what they exactly what they were looking for. Right. Right. I yeah. I mean. It, uh, I imagine if they, that's how they knew how to build structures, right? Like if they were kind oh, of yeah. roaming around, they had only learned how to build structures one way. So if you see them in two different, you know, land masses, you're assuming they're probably connected. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you can definitely see 
that they're even like in the sagas, it tells a tale of, um, you know, Iceland was settled, then Greenland, then they found Vinland. And you can kind of, it's a, it's almost like a stepping stone across the Atlantic to the Americas. So right, kind of right. like the, the whole island hopping thing, like the U.S. did in World War II. So this uh, settlement, Lance Ock Meadows, is the only really confirmed Norse archaeological site on the North American continent, as long as you don't count, obviously, Greenland. Though it is not the only alleged site of Norsemen stepping foot on the North American mainland continent. Now, this really brings us to today's conspiracy. <laughs> 50 minutes in and we are finally to the conspiracy <laughs> film. No, but uh, I'm going to let you go through it because I have heard of one other place where there's proof of them. And I will be very curious if you bring them up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you already know kind of where I'm going with this. If I found this information at the Minneapolis St. Paul airport. So in 1879, Swedish immigrant Olaf Oman came to America and immigrated to Minnesota, eventually setting up a small farm outside of Alexandria, Minnesota. This was near the town of Kensington. Now, while supposedly clearing land for his farm uh, to make a new field, this was out of some land that he had recently purchased. This was in 1898. Olaf would find a large runestone entangled in the roots of an aspen tree this runestone was lying face down with the large stone actually protruding out of the ground now this rune was made out of gray stands gray sandstone called gray whack and is about the size of a tombstone i read now it's 30 inches by 16 inches by six inches uh, it has actually Scandinavian runes carved into the side of it. And I've added that picture below and I'll put that on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. I've definitely, definitely heard of this bad boy. Yes. Yeah. In this picture, Olaf is actually standing right next to it. So you can kind of get a picture of the dimensions of this rune stone. Here's the only problem. Here's the only problem. Nobody's going to be paying attention to the, the fucking rune stone when they see that badass beard. That he has yes. on. Holy shit. I think this guy did literally uh, invented eating ass with that thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he could have started his own Minshew mania with that <laughs> fucking, uh, with that mustache. Uh, like we were talking about before the, before yeah. the show started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically... This runestone, uh, I had heard about this a little bit before. I actually thought that this runestone in real life was much bigger. I thought it was kind of closer to the size of like the Rosetta Stone and not quite like a tombstone sized stone. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely pretty big in comparison to just uh, Olaf standing next to it. It's about a quarter of his body size. Uh, very large. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. It is. It is quite large. But in my mind, I thought it was much bigger. I thought it was uh, closer to the size of like a, a one story, like almost as tall as like a one story house. In my mind, that's how tall I thought it was. I thought it was much taller. That'd be a big rock, Phil. I don't know if that would that, fit inside of a tree. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't inside of a tree. It was tangled in the roots of an aspen tree. <laughs> I mean, even still, that would be yeah. uh, quite... Quite a big rock in there. Anyway, what does this uh, what does this bad boy translate to? Okay, so when the runes were translated, 
they said, we are eight Goths. And by Goths, apparently it means Swedes. And 22 Norwegians on an exploration journey from Vinland through the West. We had camp by a lake with two scurries. One day's journey north from this stone. We were out and fished one day. After we came home, we found ten of our men, red with blood, and dead. Hail Virgin Mary, save us from evil. We have ten of our party by the sea to look after our ships. Fourteen days journey from this island. And that was the year marked 1362. Okay, so were the ten men, was this like a roving pack of wild Pittsburgh citizens that like attacked them or... What do you think? What what do you think happened to them? Well, I think the assumption is supposed to be that it's uh, some indigenous peoples in oh, the Minnesota area. Okay, all right, yeah, that okay, yeah. Not a lot of Pittsburgh citizens up here, so that kind of makes sense. Um, there could have been some drunk Wisconsinites, ooh. you know, early bratwurst at them and right. insults. Yeah, like honestly, like this. A jokes aside, Minnesota is like primarily Norwegian. And uh, Wisconsin's like primarily German, so this could have been a bunch of Kraut boys out there, uh, you know, yep. causing a little trouble. Early gang warfare <laughs> between there the Swedes and the Germans. <laughs> there you go. So if you if you scroll down a little bit, I also put the map here, kind of of that area and how they would actually get to that area of Minnesota. Basically, if you remember Newfoundland kind of where that settlement is, kind of like where they think Vinland might be, you would have to travel all the way to the, to really like the St. Lawrence River, down in through to the Great Lakes, and then all the way up to kind of that area where Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin kind of meet. And then they would have traveled by foot all the way to Kensington. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty long journey to take just to get to this area if you really think about it okay so uh it says 14 day journey okay is that walking to the location from where they docked so i'm not i mean it's kind of hard to figure out i did read a description kind of that broke it down um basically they said that from the from the sea if you didn't um basically you could take some rivers or to get to this area, but mostly it would have been walking. It's about 800 miles to get back to the Great Lakes. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense then. Uh, Man, if you're coming from inland from the sea and you go through all the Great Lakes like that, god damn, that's a long, uh, long journey. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like those rivers have like canal systems. Like those... Um, there's a lot of places where you can go into the different uh, Great Lakes. They have different areas where you can rise up and lower down the water to kind of get you in there. It would be all very rugged land when, you yeah. know, in the 1300s. Yeah, so, absolutely. Holy yeah. shit. At least they yeah, stayed the, away from Lake Michigan, according to uh, your your little thing here. Yeah, that's the one in the south, right? The one the chicago faces yeah the one that kind of looks like an eggplant or something right there yeah yeah basically it's i mean really nature's not giving you any help if you actually did this journey so no uh no they've they probably have the uh the lord's help though 
Definitely. Yeah. And actually Kensington, uh, the area where Kensington is it, next to Alexandria, uh, it's kind of up where there's a lot of those little lakes. I've been up in that region before. I wish I would have known that this museum was there, uh, you know, 15 years ago when I went fishing with my family in this area. So, well, I'll tell you what, next time you come here, uh, Alexandria, I think is only two hours north of here. So it's, uh, you can yeah. get there pretty easy. We might have to check that out. Oh, yeah. So now the controversy for this stone really began immediately after Olaf made, like kind of announced his discovery. I actually, as a copy of the inscription on that stone eventually made its way to Olas J. Breda in 1910. Yeah, he was actually at the University of Minnesota. Now, in his expert opinion, as a professor of Scandinavian language and literature, he would actually claim that the ruins did not match those from other writings from the 14th century and would even send copies of the inscriptions to experts in Scandinavia. Uh, these men also agreed that the Kensington runestone found by Olaf was a complete and utter forgery. See, now this is what I have heard um, about this runestone, that they think Olaf could potentially, I don't want to, I don't want to challenge a man with this level of a beard, but he might be a liar. Yes. yes, you should, if you find a man with that kind of facial hair, you should never challenge him no. in real life. No, absolutely but, uh, he, not. He's, he's very long dead, so I think we might be safe. Uh, yeah, there. I mean, I'll get into it later, but he is suspect number one of uh, people who forged this. Him and uh, along with one of his friends. Okay. So, All right. Can't wait to hear it. Yes. Also, the runes on the stone were not quite as weathered as you might expect from a uh, a stone with carving in it being in the conditions that you know you would expect in northern Minnesota. That being wind, rain, snow ice, uh, basic, you know, I mean, it's, it's hell up there sometimes. And this thing did not look quite as weathered as it really should have for being over 500 years old. Right. Now there's also the problem of the idea that this Viking party would have stopped to carve out a rune out in the middle, really of nowhere. And this is after being attacked by natives so far away from their boat, especially far away from their home docking port in Vinland. Uh, actually, even as we know today, the area known as Vinland, uh, Newfoundland, if they, you know, it's pretty certain that the Norse lived there. But by the 14th century, they were long gone and nowhere near Vinland. Right. Yeah. So even what you're saying basically is even their travel pattern like this just seems um to to not make a whole lot of sense why they would yeah, there's go no all this way into i mean maybe okay we could maybe say maybe if it was close to one of the shores of lake michigan as you see in the map here um but alexandria is for the most part pretty far to the west side of the state so like that is a long journey from any of the coasts to head yes. over there. Yeah. Yeah. So like Kensington, the town like next to Alexandria, it's actually 
really closer to the Dakotas than it is to that lake. Yeah. So it's pretty far out there. Kind of the only thing really is that gives it any maybe credibility that it might be real is the fact that this land that he had purchased, he was clearing trees to make a field. So it was completely virgin land and there's no one, it's not like he just bought, you know, a property and there was already a field there and he found it in a field. Like he found this in like Minnesota forest. Right. Right. But yeah, it's very far from the lakes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an understatement. It's exceedingly far from the lake. Yes, definitely. I was also going to say too, if this voyage did happen in the 1300s, it's a little bit closer to modern. It's not, it's not a ton closer, but it's closer to modern times than 1000 AD was. And you would think, that voyages to search for Vinland would have been written down. I mean, at this time, the Norse people were thinking that Vinland was just a myth. So Right, right. You know what I'm kind of thinking? I don't know if you brought this up, but okay. If this thing was old, there's 10, the rock says, 10 uh, dead, I assume dead soldiers. Uh, Yes. You would then assume... There has to be some remnant of their carcasses somewhere, you know, or in this area that would have been found, right? Wouldn't you think? Well, I mean, they're not really. I mean, unless they made like a big, you know, uh, unless they laid down a stone to kind of mark the burial. Um, I don't really, I, I'm pretty sure if they had just died and were left out in the open, it would have any, just like what happens to a wild animal when it gets killed. You know, if the bodies get dragged away by, you know, animals. Other animals, yeah. Yeah, but I assume that the Vikings obviously would have, you know, done some sort they, of burial ritual. I don't what, know if they would have actually done the whole, you know, the shooting a flaming arrow at a ship or if they even do that, you know. Yeah, that's the other thing I was wondering, like the the flame pyre. Um, mm. would they, If they were under attack, would have they taken time to bury them? But usually even if an animal carries it away, right? If that's a full grown ass person, they're going to have, a, there's I, there's not really big enough animals to drag a whole human carcass away. So I, I don't know. I just feel like there would be so, someone at some point would have found at least a fucking bone of some kind. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that they would ever find a bone because it's not like you're going to be able to look at a bone and say, oh, that's a Viking bone and that's a Native American bone. But what I would wonder is, would they ever find like a Viking shield or a Viking helmet? Or you know what I mean? I would look more for that stuff than a bone because, you know, bones are bones. It's not like it's in Greenland. I mean, humans were living in this area for thousands and thousands of years. So. There you go. That's a good point because I assume they were wearing metal of some kind. So that shouldn't oh, have yeah. just deteriorated into nothing. Obviously, these warriors were wearing yeah, they wore they wore metal armor. They're like they're wearing what you're thinking they're wearing. You know, they have a sword, they have you know, chain mail on, all that stuff. So the Viking helmet. There you go. That's my question. Oh, okay, yeah. They probably would have maybe made a pyre, possibly, if they were that far in land. I guess. But if they, during the 1300s, if they were Christianized, maybe they would have had different burial, you know, maybe more in line with what the Christians did. I don't know. That's speculation, but. Right. 
So there was also, during this time that Olaf was living in, during the late 1800s, there was also kind of a big, like the idea of, like the romanticizing of the old Viking myths were really coming into their own. There was even a recreation of a Viking ship that was actually on display in Chicago that was very, very big at the time. There was also a fight between the Scandinavian countries, uh, Norway and Sweden. Uh, There was a fight for independence going on. So they also think that possibly this runestone claiming that Swedes and Norwegians coming together and doing this voyage as a group may have been some kind of political statement, kind of, you know, trying to lay the groundwork for peace. Like, oh, look, they had this great adventure where they came together, you know. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like that one's a stretch. I, I guess it, it's possible. That one just feels, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, we need to bring peace, so let's make up finding a fucking old-ass stone from forever ago. Maybe it would work. I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, especially I, I, when it was, especially when it was figured out as such a fraud, like, immediately. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Of- Of course, as we know, like you did with uh, Bumblebutt, a lot of those shysters think that they're never going to get caught. So True. Very true, Phil. Very true. So even though the origin of the stone is in question, the stone has remained as an attraction at the museum that bears its name in Kensington, Minnesota. Also, this slab of granite has been taken all over the world. It's been taken to be studied in Europe. It's been displayed at the Smithsonian and even taken to the World's Fair in New York in 1965. Ooh, okay. That's kind of fun. So it has made its trips around. And I kind of think that that might have coincided also with the romanticizing of the Vikings. One of those things where even though people thought it might be fake, maybe it's true. And it's kind of an oddity. They say that if you even go and look at the stone, you can tell that there's like something weird about this stone. Like it's ancient. So. Dude, I wish you would have, or we would have known this, like when you were here a week ago. We would have totally went and did this. Yeah, well, it would have been Labor Day weekend, so possibly that might not have worked out. They might have been closed. No, oh, don't be such a Debbie Downer. Uh, but <laughs> next time we're gonna go see this thing because it sounds actually kind of cool. Um, I do you have some final thoughts? How are you feeling? What do you? I do have some final thoughts. So there is kind of an idea. Uh, I mentioned before, Olaf is kind of suspect number one. He also had a friend. um, This was his minister, Sven Fogelbald. He actually had kind of a little bit, supposedly more knowledge of Norse runes than even Olaf had. And it is possible that he may have helped him make this farce, make this fraudulent item. His pastor. Yes, his pastor. Also, there was a little thing that I read that really neither of these two men uh, liked the idea of academic people, you know, the, you know, brainiac types. So possibly they did it to try to get one over on the experts. It just turns out the experts didn't believe it at all. Okay. All right. I suppose it's possible. I don't kind of a weird uh, partnership there. Olaf and his pastor. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea of who, like, the suspects number one and number two are for making this. Unless you believe that it's real, and then 
you know, maybe some Vikings made it. Okay. But what do you, I, I, I lean towards not real. You think it's not of. real? Yeah. I mean, even though a lot of people, even though a lot of the articles and stuff were saying it's a fake, there are some people out there who still believe it is real. So you got to kind of, you know, acknowledge them too. I kind of lean more towards like uh, whatever's most likely to be true probably is. So it's more likely to be a fake. It's just hard for me to imagine that voyage all the way through four of the five Great Lakes and walking 800 miles just to this little area and just dropping a stone in the middle of nowhere. Unless they got lost, I guess. Um, they were trying to do something and they just got lost or, uh, you know, what I, I guess that's possible. And they had no fucking idea how to get back. Uh, and then they were under Possibly. attack or something. But again, that's kind of a stretch, I think. Yeah, that is possible. I mean, I imagine they claim that they had 10, 10 guys watching the boat. So they were, you know, in that case, they probably knew their way back to the boat. But maybe maybe they made that slab just in case they did die. And, you know, either the 10 men came looking for them or future voyages came looking for them. Possibly they made it for that reason. I don't really know why um, a lot of these rune stones were made, like for what purpose. Right. So possibly it possibly could be just, a you know, like some kid scribbling on a wall, like, you know, Scotty was here or whatever, just like, <laughs> you know. Making that shit. Um, but who knows? The, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I heard about this quite a long time, you know, quite a while ago when I looked into it. And it was like, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure the general consensus is, is that it's fake. Um, even though it it's pretty, I mean, to the, unless you really know what you're looking for, how they faked it so well, I don't really know. But um, the other thing I was going to say is, what I heard is, is there is legitimate Scandinavian or, or uh, Viking uh, runes they've found in New Jersey. Have you off the coast, um, like coastal rocks? They found a couple of them. Have you have you heard of those at all? No, I did hear that they found what they thought might be some evidence in Maine, but not in New Jersey. I hadn't uh, heard that one. I, I don't honestly. Don't quote me on that. It was one of those coastal states. They found like a rock. This wasn't this wasn't on Reddit, was it? No. This was no no. Okay. Just make it sure. No, I think it was like they found a couple of rocks along the coast that had runes in them, and then they found almost like they started building like a tower of some kind and then it like got abandoned. It was kind of weird. Um so that's kind of that's kind of what I heard where they speculate might be proof positive that they were here before Columbus, but uh, this this stone here is obviously, I don't know, maybe it is, probably not, though, because especially with how far science has progressed, they can usually tell how long something's weathered and whatnot, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, definitely, they... If they used modern techniques, I imagine they'd be able to confirm it or deny it like pretty quickly. The problem is if they found it, if they found it today, they would actually be able to like look at the area that it's around and be able to tell like, you know, what happened in that area maybe a thousand years ago. Or if it had some dirt inside of the runes, they might be able to tell like 
how long that dirt's been inside of those crevices. The problem is it was cleaned up over a hundred years ago. Right. It was cleaned up. Oh yeah. Um, well over a hundred years ago that all of those little room, like the dirt inside of it was cleaned out. So there's not really much organic material to be able to tell how old that, you know, the, the dirt is that went inside of it, the inside of those rune carvings. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. Honestly, um, I guess my final thought is I can't wait till you and I go see this bad boy because I think maybe there will be more clarity if we look at, you know, we see it in real life. What do you think? Yeah, it'd be definitely cool to see. I mean, it kind of reminded me they were talking about how when you just look at it, you can tell it's something that's important from the past. That's kind of how you feel like when you go see the Rosetta Stone. Uh, When I saw that at the museum in England, it was like really weird. You know, you get this like really weird feeling because you've seen it in a book like hundreds of times, but you just kind of like it's it's so big and it's right there in front of you, you know. But yeah, it would be cool to see in real life, but kind of, you know, just a fun one today, kind of getting off topic. But right. Well, uh, if uh, anybody has wants to give us their opinions on this stone, where can they contact us, Phil? They can get a hold of us by email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Great hearing from everybody. Really appreciate all of the emails. Another great way to get a hold of us on our Instagram page, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Thanks for all of the, the likes and the comments, everything. It's been great. Thanks to all of our new people who have, thanks to all of the new followers that we've gotten recently. That's kind of been really jumping up there. Uh, Cody and I both have our own Instagram accounts. Minus SD Pod Phil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow my personal Instagram at Cody Zabub, or you can follow me on TikTok at Cody Zabub. Uh, the last thing I need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave the show a five star review. Doesn't really matter what you say. You can put Scandinavian ruins on there if you want. That would be kind <laughs> of cool. Uh, if you are a Spotify listener, all you got to do is hit that follow button. You'll be updated uh, whenever we drop a new episode, and it is apparently like an iTunes review. Well, Phil, this was an awesome episode. I love a good uh, My People's History. I love it. Olaf, you might be a liar, though. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. 